0: Hello, everybody. Before we get started today, I wanted to tell you about Juneteenth and some exciting plans we have coming up. Juneteenth is a celebration of black freedom. This year, the Stitch Please podcast will celebrate Juneteenth all month long under the umbrella of creative liberation. Inspired by Alexis Pauline Gumbs teaching us that freedom isn't a secret, it is a practice, the Stitch Please podcast will celebrate the many ways that Black women, girls, and femmes get free, stay free, and be free. Tune in for the entire month of June for some absolutely amazing episodes that you will not want to miss. See you then. You might have learned that the Emancipation Proclamation and Union victories ended slavery in America, but there's so much more to that story. Seizing Freedom is a new podcast from VPM and Witness Docs that uses firsthand accounts to show how Black people defined freedom for themselves during the Civil War and Reconstruction. Find us at vpm.org freedom and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone and welcome to the Stitch Please podcast. I'm your host Lisa Wolfork, joining you from Charlottesville, Virginia. And I am absolutely delighted to speak with you today about the topic of intentional sewing, intentional living. And my guest for this is someone who embodies this spirit. I'm speaking today with Kamali Obiagu. Kamali Obiagu is a fantastic and wonderful sewist. She has hot fire looks that I often see on Instagram. And the story of her name, the story of her intentional living is what motivated me to have this episode today. So Kamali, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you.
1: Ah, Peace and blessings to you. I'm happy to be here. I'm so happy to be here.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. So can we start a little bit about, can you tell me your sewing story? How did you get started in the sewing life?
1: Yes. Often when people ask me this, I'm always chuckling over it because in 2014, it was income tax time and I was I had bought a sewing machine. I said, why not? I was crocheting before that. So I thought, let me go ahead and try out sewing. And it didn't work out at all. I think the most I made was like a tote bag and and, and an apron. Paper patterns confused me and I, it just didn't work out. It collected dust. So then I ended up reselling it. And in 2014, 18, mid-year, I was looking at sewing again. Except this time, I dove in. I, I did all the research. I picked which machine I wanted to get and learned how to thread that through YouTube videos and already had joined some PDF pattern companies. And I actually never heard of PDF patterns before. I wow. never heard of PDF patterns before. And so I dove in. I think Patterns for Pirates was my first group that I joined. And I was looking at YouTube tutorials and like the peg legs and all these other patterns. So I told my husband, I said, yeah, I want to, I want to get a sewing machine again. And he was like, it's going to collect dust again. Remember what happened to the last one? And I said, no, nah, I feel different about this one. I'm like, really
0: ready. I'm really ready this time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I was like, then I felt the need to prove him wrong. You know, so <laughs> So I, I got the sewing machine. It was the the brother a CX6000i, I believe. And that was December 2018. And the same day I got it, the same day I made a pair of leggings, I was already hooked and ready to go. And so I inside wow. to make that one pair of leggings. Things just took off insanely fast for me because then I got addicted. When I first had the sewing machine in 2014, I didn't know the how much I could do with the sewing machine. I didn't see the power in it at the time. And then to be in a part of the PDF community and see all these things. And then Pinterest is Pinterest is like my addiction. So seeing all the things I could do with a sewing machine, projects through Pinterest, and then all these all these patterns and I thought, oh this is it. And so I started with the leggings and then I moved into raglan shirts and then jammies. And then I had a friend of mine, her name is Corinne and she mentioned, hey, you might want to get into testing that will help your skills a little bit more. And I was intimidated with testing because I felt like that was something that was for the higher up, more advanced <laughs> people. But um, it's also for testing and practice. So any skill level, all skill levels, I think would be beneficial. Yes. And that's true. And that's what I end up, that's what I ended up learning. And it definitely helped me out because even though I was making a lot of stuff, I was still the knob. So testing, once I had my first test, I think it was some bell bottoms for my baby girl, Bailey bell bottoms were made for mermaids. And once I made that, then I was like, okay, this is great. And I kept, ever since then, I've been testing, 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 but it was different because I always said that when it comes to a new craft, don't dive in so quick, but I dove in so quick and was able to maintain that for so long. And it just really became a love of mine, along with being able to work on this project and then be able to wear it and show it off. And on on top of that, the sewing community that comes with it. I didn't have you know, I was crocheting beforehand, but I wasn't heavy into the crocheting community. So the sewing community just just
0: I so love this phase of your story, Kamali. And I want to back up a little bit and go back to 2014. So you said it's tax time. I'm just assuming that you got a refund. And so you had a little bit of extra money that you were saying, let me just see if this will work. Where where do you imagine your minds? Can you reflect on and let me know where your mindset was in 2014 with the I I imagine, you know, if you're going to spend your tax refund on this, that. You were you were thinking it would work out. You didn't go into it in 2014 thinking, I don't know. Let me just throw my money away. That's right. not what you were intending. So tell me what. Tell me about where you were in 2014, if you can, if you can remember that far, or if not. What's the difference between 2014 for you and 2018?
1: In 2014, let's see, I was a mom of two. At the time that I bought this sewing machine, we were in Mississippi. We were only in Mississippi for a year. My husband's in the Marine Corps. So we bounce around a lot. And so I thought, let me let me go. I don't even know who was the person that might have, you know, put the idea in my head with the sewing machine, but I just knew that I was crocheting and you know, certain crafts are like a gateway to other crafts. And I once I was crocheting all this stuff. I guess I had the thought of what if I could sew this stuff too then I'm crocheting? Would it be faster for me? you know, mm-hmm. and I forget who the Misha sews. I think that was what her her name was. she made some incredible items that made it seem so easy for me to make uh and I was inspired by her beautiful spirit and her tutorials she made it almost so easy to just look at her videos and feel like yeah I could do this too and I I got the sewing machine I didn't know much about threading it so I looked at the manual and stuff like that I didn't do as much research on the machine I believe I had a project runway a brother and I just was like oh okay and then I became overwhelmed by it and then looking at the paper patterns and and being a new beginner and not knowing the symbols I didn't look at any videos at all. I'm a visual learner. So videos helped yeah. me. So I was overwhelmed by all the all the symbols on paper patterns and the thin papers. And so I only, I was able to make an apron for it and felt so proud of myself. And I think I, I did make a dress and then a tote bag later on, but I was so overwhelmed. I, I doubted myself. I was just figuring, since I'm a mama too, I know I can do make something, you know, for these kids. <laughs> and, I, and I limited myself because I said, this is too hard. I'll come back to it another time. And then and I already was good with crocheting. So I just stuck with crocheting and that's how the, it collected dust. But I also dealt with a lot of insecurities within my own self during that time. So it was quick for me to put, make that machine collect dust.
0: And what I'm hearing and so appreciate about one of the ways that it seems to me that your intentional living is reflected in your sewing is that what you're describing now, it sounds to me like you weren't ready in 2014, that you were able to, that crochet was the thing that you loved. You were really good at it. You knew what to do. You knew how to map out a garment or a piece in crochet, how to start and finish it. Even if you use crochet patterns, you knew how to read all those symbols. You just weren't ready to learn and take on all this new stuff. But 2018 sounds like you were a different Kamali or maybe you weren't at this point I think in 2018 you might not have even been Kamali I don't know (laughs) no not at this
1: moment not at this moment
0: but it's uh, it's nice to imagine 2018 being like a year when you were like you know what I'm gonna commit to this now did you have any you said you had two kids in 2014 by the time 2018 rolls around and you jump into sewing deeply how
1: many um, had your family grown then? Yes. In 2014, I had my two boys that were at the time, in uh, 2014, they were four and one, but I also had my brother who was 14 at the time. So I had custody of my brother as well. And in 2018, I did have uh, my baby girl. So that's my third child. And then my brother was, well, he was 18 at the point. Uh, so 18 for my brother, my boys were Let's see here, I feel like I have too many kids I'm trying to keep count here. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's, you got a lot of love, you've got a lot of love to give, and you've got a lot of, a lot of love to receive,
0: so you've got oh, two yes. kids you've got three kids your your brother and your two little ones, and then your brother's still growing thankfully, and you've got now you've got you go from three to four so
1: yes yes yes, yes, then uh, you got so I have my baby girl who's at the time was a year old when I first started, which I feel like she was really the inspiration when I found there were so many options for <laughs> a lot more yeah, options to for girl girls hands. than there are for boys. That is true. Yes. Yes. It's great, but it's also frustrating because you see more variety. <laughs> yes,
0: it's, it's great. It's also problematic because it's rooted in patriarchy. I'm convinced yes. that the reason that there's more girls patterns and women's patterns is that women are seen as more decorative and ornamental than boys. Right. Um, That's I, cause I only tend to go for boys. Yeah, that because that women and girls are objectified, there's a certain way that, you know, that the fashion industry and the sewing industry reflects that. And that's why I think that they, you can see the exact same boys patterns in some of these big four pattern books that have been there since the 50s. The exact right. same pattern.
1: It's, it's definitely it's challenging. It's challenging. And I find myself still often thinking about, man, you know, they're, they're, I don't have a problem with finding things for, you know, baby girl. As far as in patterns, I would like some more variety when it came to what my boys are interested in. When I was when I was pregnant, I would see all these beautiful outfits and, and things and seeing how much that could be done, all the outfits that I would see in stores. And so when I decided to pick back up on sewing, I would often look in the stores and I'd be like, "Hey, I could make this you know And so me realizing that I could do such a thing, it really helped me to say, all right, yeah, this got to work." This year got to work because there's lots of patterns that it will make me feel good knowing that I made them for my baby girl. And when I actually started off sewing, I made the items for myself, but I also made it for the boys first before moving into sizes for her. And so it was just that first couple of projects that I did. I think I made my boys jammy pants and a shirt. And then from then I got so, uh, so excited about that. I started making the matching outfits, which they loved it. But then it's that feeling when they put them on and they get so excited you know, and it was more of an excitement that I made it for them versus them just getting new clothes from the store. Yes. Yes. And that really just it had me feeling, okay. I'm just going to take off with this. Okay, I got to take off with this. I got to make more. What else can I find? And then I find more patterns. And and that's how the kind of snowball went off in my in my sewing journey. I really
0: love that. I really do. And I really love how you have that the boys were so excited that what they were wearing came from you and that they could appreciate even at an early age and perhaps especially at an early age uh, that this was something that their mother uniquely made for them. That it's not just about having new clothes. It's about having new clothes that were made for them by someone who loves them more than anything in the world. And that, I think, is such yes. a beautiful feeling. It's also, I think, super smart on your part. And I say this because it's what I did, <laughs> is that it's helping to start them early on the idea that make that having something made for you is a normal thing. That my boys, I started sewing for them when, they, I saw them when they were babies and toddlers. But I also started um, when my youngest was in kindergarten doing matching outfits for two boys who were in the same school. And, that, and, that, that, and then that blossomed into matching family outfits that I would make at Easter and at the beginning of the school year for all of us, from my husband and me and both boys. And my,
1: and my, oh, my youngest
0: goodness. boy is about to graduate high school. And I made him a shirt for that first day of school and well, as well as for the most recent Easter. And my oldest boy is in, is graduating college and I still make him a shirt for the first day of school and for Easter. Now we have to see if my youngest boy is going to keep the tradition while he is at college next year. I don't know, but it's, some friends ask me, they're like, how do you get your boys to wear what you make? How do you get them to do that? And I'm like, they think it's normal.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah so I really feel
0: like I've spoiled them for any spouse they might have in the future because they're like why don't you make my underwear like my mother did? Why don't you make my <laughs> why don't you make me this I need this costume. Why don't you just go down into the sewing machine and sp- and, and pull out the magic outfit from the machine like my mother did. You set the bar high. <laughs> exactly. So it's just really it's 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 really a beautiful tradition and I'm so I'm so glad to hear that you've been able to establish that in a way that's meaningful for your family. And that's the thing that I think is so wonderful and why I decided to invite you to the podcast today to talk about intentional living, intentional sewing because it feels like in 2014, you weren't able to be intentional about it. You weren't ready. The thing I find so amazing is that in 2018, you had more kids. I think I need a couple, two, three more kids to add to the equation. And then, then I will be ready. Because, you know, having just three kids is not that much work. But, you know what, let me add a, add a fourth. That'll really get me going. It's
1: just, it's, what's what's beautiful is that, it's, you know, making clothes for them. I, when I have, I have neighbors that they talk about how when they were younger, their parents would make clothes for them and they didn't appreciate it as much because they would go to school and be joked about it. But I thought it was amazing then when I would see that. But in 2021 that we're now, we have custom fabrics. We have all these colorful fabrics and they, my kids have not had anyone them. They think it's cool that their mom makes them these clothes with these vibrant colors and all these other things. And it's just something that, you know, often beforehand, My uh, I would get my clothes for the kids. I would get them from, you know, chain stores. So you know that there's another kid, there's quite a few other kids that's me wearing the same thing yes, that your kid yeah. has. And so when I started making clothes for my kids, it was like, okay, I know nobody else is gonna that's have right. this print. So they get to stand out more. They are, their personalities themselves already stand out, but their clothes match them. And I think that's a beautiful thing, you know, knowing that they're gonna have an item that, you know, they're gonna be like, oh man, where'd you get that from? Oh, my mom made it. And meanwhile, I'm just sitting here patting myself. Yeah, I did.
0: You better pat yourself (laughs) on the back, on the back, on the head, on the belly, everywhere. Pat yourself everywhere
1: because you have done the damn thing.
0: Absolutely. Yes. One of the things I appreciate too that I hear in the difference between your 2014 and 2018 journey is the relationship between paper patterns, big four patterns and PDF patterns. It seems as though there was a difference in that for you. Can you tell me about why you think, or if you do think, do you think that the big four patterns, the tissue fitting patterns Was a deterrent to your sewing? Because the way that you described it, it sounded like it. You're like, oh, I didn't understand the symbols. I didn't understand the instructions. The papers were too thin. Was there a a way in which that PDF patterns gave you a bit more
1: than paper patterns did? Yes. I feel like in order to talk about this, I should go back to when I first started crocheting. Um, When I first started crocheting, I believe it was 2012. And I was looking at YouTube videos and I was really only following YouTube tutorial videos on crocheting, meaning not an exact pattern or at least not a written pattern. It was just following along doing the same thing they did. And I remember knowing that I needed to follow, I needed to have written crochet patterns in order for me to have more variety of things to make. And the the abbreviations intimidated me like none other. And I said, man, (laughs) I don't know if I can... I don't know if I could do all this. Maybe I'll just stick to just watching the videos on it. But then I took a leap and I said, let me try to learn this stuff. And the abbreviations were most of the time stitches that I already knew. It was just abbreviated. But having so many of them in one sitting looking at written patterns, I was like, oh, my goodness. And now I look back at that and I thought, man, I'm glad I did take that leap and decided to learn these because I was able to make way more stuff other than just relying on YouTube itself. Granted, if there was a stitch that I may not be familiar with, I did re- look at a tutorial for that, but I am able to understand written uh, patterns with no problem because of crochet, because of learning those abbreviations. And so when it came to 2014, it was <laughs> it was the symbols and, and stuff in the paper patterns, but also the texture of it too, when it came to cutting into the tissue paper and i didn't do any research to make it easier on me after mm. that and i had i heard nothing about the pdf community at this time i was not in any sewing groups um, on social media so again not having that community either uh, it was easy for me to collect that dust and so i the second time around when it came to 2014 that was when i actually found out about the pdf community first through a youtube tutorial and i thought well, pdf huh <laughs> like i could print them out at home I don't have to go in a store and wonder if it's in my size or or anything like that okay let's try this out and then i found that most of the tutorials had picture tutorials and i was able to understand that a little bit more it was a little bit more simpler and oddly enough those pdf patterns has helped me to understand paper patterns in which i still look at tutorials to make sure i get it right But um, I'm thankful that the second time around, I started off PDF wise first and then paper patterns because it's been, it's been a blessing. I can't say that I would have soared the way I did if I didn't start off with PDF patterns the second time around. I
0: really appreciate that because when I hear you say that PDF patterns are giving you something that printed patterns don't, one of the things, oh it sounds to me like there's two things that PDF patterns were giving you. First, they were giving you size inclusivity that you don't have to worry about topping out at the size range or having to like do all the blending between sizes and the work that it takes to get a big four pattern to fit on a curvy black body. You know, there's always stuff that I know I'm going to have to change. Okay. I'm going to have to do the sway back adjustment. I'm going to have to do the, the booty, I call it the booty blessings adjustment. I'm going to have to do like all of these other things, but So that was one thing, the sizing. But another thing that seems a bit more intangible, but also is important, is community. That when you got a PDF pattern, you knew it was going to come with a video it, that it has tutorials. It's going to come with maybe like a group of people on, youth, on um, Facebook that are making it. You can check the hashtag on right. Instagram and find other folks who have made it and see how they look, how, you know, that's something I really love about it is being able to say, oh, this person has a body shape like mine and that looks amazing on her so now i will make it too so it seems also that community was an important part of it as well that it took you from being an, an it took you from being like an individual maker who was just sitting in her sewing room alone or sitting on the couch crocheting by herself looking at the computer and kind of introduced you to a group of people who were doing this and making it work. Did you, is, am, am I, do you think, is this is this a good assessment of what, a good summary of what you, of what your process was?
1: Yes, yeah, yes. It's very, it was very important to have that community knowing that I was getting a pattern and I could see other, you mentioned how, you know, we can see other bodies and see a body like ours. And that was extremely important to me because at one point, especially in 2014, I was having my own body issues where I wasn't as happy with the body that I was in. And sewing has really helped me to gain that body confidence because instead of me saying, hey, you know, before sewing, it was like, I don't want to buy this, you know, this this shirt or this dress or whatever. I want to wait until I reach a quote unquote goal weight, right? Mm-hmm. Post Post mom, excuse me, pre mom. And then post mom, I post mom, I was trying to, you know, Chase a pre-mom body. And so I had lots of bodies. I, so I was kept it simple with my wardrobe. I kept it very simple because I didn't feel comfortable in other, you know, clothing types. And so to join the PDF community, you know that there are people who are unapologetically themselves. Yes. They own the body that yes. they're in. It is a beautiful thing to see. And therefore, that led me to be able to branch out more. And then the the further I got along in the sewing and testing, I would look at certain companies and I said, I don't see a body like mine. Why not I test? Yes, and then when I test, and then there's people like thank you. There's a body like mine, there on display, and so it's a it's a blessing because while I look at other people, I'm looking at patterns and I'm saying okay, that's I can see myself in that because there's somebody representing that. There's a there's a beautiful melanated person right there, and I can see myself in this mic and that's great. And meanwhile, people are also looking to me for the same thing.
0: Yes. Absolutely. Uh, I want to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what it means to love the skin you are in, because that's another component that I wanted to talk with you about. So when we come back, everybody stay tuned. I am so happy to be talking with Kamali today. She's so incredible. So stay tuned and we will be right back after this break. women stitch and the stitch please podcast are happy to announce that we have another way to connect with our community in addition to the ig lives that we do every thursday at 3 p.m we also now have a club on clubhouse that's right friends they done messed up and given me the chance to have a club Follow Black Women Stitch on Instagram and now on Clubhouse Thursdays at 3 p.m. on Instagram and 3:45 p.m. on Clubhouse Eastern Standard Time, and we'll help you get your stitch together. Welcome back, everyone, and you are listening to the Stitch Please podcast. I am talking today with Kamali Obiagu, and she is for me. I titled this episode "Intentional Sewing, Intentional Living" because tamale, because because Kamali embodies that spirit. Of intentional sewing and intentional living for me. If you go and look at her blog, you will see some really beautiful garments, but also really beautiful stories about her own growth and development. And I was really drawn to the story of her of you of choosing a new name. One of the one of the one of the great feminist, Black feminist, lesbian feminist icons that I absolutely love, as many people do, Audre Lorde, wrote a book called Zami, A New Spelling of My Name. And there's something about Black women and Black women's life and culture that our names are important and sacred and sometimes are subject to all sorts of abuse and violence. But one of the acts that I really admire about you, Kamali, is the claiming of your name of creating something that reflects who you are. And so when we were ta- you were speaking earlier before the break, it was about, I know that many women, and some I can't well I can't say I won't say many women. I don't like to do that. I don't like to say many people do this. How about I talk about myself? In myself, in my past, <laughs> I have definitely thought about um my body in the future tense. That one day see- in the future, I will be this size. Therefore, I will not be nice to the body that I have. I will instead, I'm okay with this body, but one day I'll have a better one. And that's the stuff that I'll have clothes to fit that. And it's such it's it's so dangerous because it's such a distraction and it it gets in the way of us fully inhabiting who we are at all Times and that's one of the principles of Sonia Renee Taylor's book, The Body Is Not an Apology. That is a book that has been so important to my personal life, as well as to the development yes. and the claiming of the space that Black women stitch claims is empowered and motivated by that radical self love that um, Sonia Renee Taylor talks about. Can you talk a bit about how you transitioned from this future body? that one day you would make things for to learning to love and appreciate and revere the skin you are in now as also a sacred expression.
1: I, before, before I really took it upon myself to work on my present self, it was, I kept my wardrobe pretty simple and I started a health and fitness journey and, and I was going at it hard and I was working towards a goal away. It wasn't It wasn't pre-baby, but it was working towards a goal weight. And I eventually found myself working myself in the ground a little too much, obsessing over the number on the scale. And what really changed for me was when I started sewing. When I started sewing and I would work on my health and fitness journey for sure, but I realized, you know, I looked at my body then and I said, my body is fine now. Like I have a beautiful body right now. And so how about I stop limiting myself on what I should wear, what I would, and then, you know, be able to grow into something else instead of me trying to chase something in the past, you know, so let's branch out a little bit. And the more I branched out, the more I thought, man, my body is banging. Yes, Yes. I am. Yes, (laughs) yes, I am a Buddhist. And one of the things that I am constantly being taught is to live in the present moment. And I embodied that when it came to my journey, because my body right now is banging. My body right now is beautiful. It's sexy. I don't need to chase anything else. And so when it came to my health and fitness journey, it shifted to while I still work out, try my best to eat. best food is delicious. (laughs) All kinds of it. (laughs) Yes. But it was more so do it for the blood work and not the number on the scale. If I'm feeling good, that's okay. Yes. I began, I said, I love my body right here. I, I'm okay if I stay the same size. That's perfectly okay with me. And then it really changed to where when I first started sewing, my photos, when I first started sewing, are totally different than they are now because there's confidence. There's more confidence now because I can wear an outfit and be like, damn, I look good. And so I embodied that through my photos. I show that through my photos. And lots of people are like, you're so confident. You're so confident. You own what you were. I wasn't like that before him. But I stepped out and I said, look, my body's fine. And with the help of so many people in my own community own all these different body types and seeing how gorgeous they are and how they are before unapologetically themselves, that really helped me out. I said, hey, look, they in their body. What am I doing? Wasting my time trying to chase a body that's not mine when I could be loving the body that I'm in right now, knowing that we only get one. You know, so that was that was it was really important for me to just just love where I'm at. And that began to grow even more for me. I felt the more I showed off myself, the more I showed off my blackness was the more people saw me. People saw me more. And I felt like my true self. Uh, which I think is really important when we love ourselves, we love the body that we're in, we love everything about ourselves that kind of radiates to people around you. Whether it rubs off on them and, you know, in the way that they be like, oh man, maybe I could love myself like that too. Or them just seeing your own beauty. You know, I began to look within myself. I said, I don't care what anybody thinks of me. I myself found myself to be beautiful and to have a great, amazing body. And my makes will reflect that, reflect that, excuse me. So it didn't matter what, and I think that's really important too, is knowing that what other people think of you is none of your business. Knowing that what I see myself as is all that matters, so whether people say good or bad things about me, it doesn't ref- it doesn't matter to me because I see the power within myself. So the sewing community has definitely learning to sew and learning to have that inner uh, confidence with myself has definitely helped with my sewing journey. Hey, that
0: in your photographs, and that's the thing about claiming and practicing a radical self love, a love that says, I love who I am, as I am, at the size I am, the way I look, the way I walk, the way I talk. This is some, this is, I am a unique expression of the divine. However you just say, I am all me. And that is all I have. Yes. The contours of my body are mine and mine alone. And if I don't love it, and if I don't prioritize it, and if
1: I don't worship it. Who do I expect to do it? Exactly. Right? You know, so there's so many times where we rely, uh, people rely on outside sources. No, we're the inner self because that's way more powerful than somebody else's comments. You know, somebody else's negative comments, you know, it's such a beautiful thing. And that's obviously something that doesn't happen overnight. It's it's something that needs to be practiced daily. Working on the inner confidence, working on talking to yourself in a more positive way. And when I started talking to myself more positively, it didn't matter what anybody had to say. You know, that's right. It didn't matter. You know, that's right. You know, so that's really, really important. And my husband, he's always showing me all the love. But even I don't rely on him to tell me That's I right. look good <laughs> because I don't know. What I told That's myself. <laughs> right. It's,
0: it's so important. Now this also relates really deeply to your new name, and you you talk about this in the blog from January twenty twenty one about celebrating like the week you celebrated the the anniversary of of your new name. And can you can you talk a little bit about? I know I'm gonna I'll be sure of course to link the blog post to the show notes. But I do absolutely love that story about how you came to this and why it was so important to you. Can you talk a little bit about that with us right now about this transition yeah. from yes. doing something deliberately to to help you, I guess I can't I can't summarize it. Why don't you tell us what what made you change your name and how that opened doors of possibility for you and your family?
1: Yes. Okay. I think I should start off as a child. As a child, I was born Natalie Carlisle. Natalie Alsonia Carlisle. And as a child, and even into early adult, I never had an attachment towards my name at all. I always found interest as a child in African names or unique Black names. And I thought, man, that's great. And Growing up, I always thought that if somebody were to change the name, it was either because they were married or religious purposes. So I, it didn't, none of that register until last year. So I... I never had an attachment towards my name. So getting married and changing my last name was easy. Was, you know, there was that. And as the more I educated myself on the history of um, African-Americans and how we were brought over it and our names being used and passed down, the, the slave masters names being used and passed down, it was like one day when I educated myself on this matter, I said, I wonder, is this the reason why I don't feel like... This name fits me. And I remember as a high school student looking up African names to nickname myself with, you know, or if I ever had kids, this is what the name would be and all this other stuff. Last year, I believe it was about February, my husband actually was like, hey, I should get my name changed for my 30th birthday. And I was huh, okay. And I thought, I could do that? What if I did that too? And so I said, oh my God, I've been feeling this, you know, this non-attachment towards you know, my name. And I'm thinking, what if I found the name that fit me? And so we talked about it and we thought, what if we, you know, we would change our last name as a family? How we go about doing this. I didn't want to rely on internet itself. So we did grab a a book. I think it was called a book of African names by someone who also changed their name to an African name. And it had this list of books and list of names, excuse me. And I looked and I looked and I pretty much just, we agreed on Obiyagu, right? Because the biggest thing with names, when it came to naming our kids, we wanted to make sure the meanings were strong, strong meanings and definitely a name that wasn't common. So our baby's names are Alistair Khalil, Maverick Amir, and Amethyst Iris. Oh, lovely! And so those names meant, thank you, those, ma- those names meant a lot to us. Because they embody what we wanted our children to step out into. Now, granted, our children are their only individuals, but we wanted to speak existence and positivity over their lives. So that's where it went into the naming process. When it came to us, we said, OK, all right, what can we want it to name ourselves or who we are and who we are to become struck out to us the most because it is Nigerian for lion's heart. And that meant a lot to us. So we had a meeting. We make sure the kids were good with this. We had a couple other names, but everybody was stuck on Obiagu. And I said, boom, there we go. Obiagu itself. And that was a beautiful experience because it wasn't just me in this. It was it was the whole family. And seeing them excited over a new name was great because I was worried that maybe they would be like, oh, but we got the name we have now. You know, why not? But I also we also raise our kids to be proud of their Blackness, to know about their um, African roots. And so this was seeing them just light up over this What meant the world to us. So the, the last name came about and then it was like, OK, now the first name for myself, what am I going to what am I going to choose? And Kamali stuck out to me because the Kamali means both wealth and perfection. Oh. And I said. I love that, you know, it's who I am and who I am to become. I am perfect as I am. You know, I am perfect as I am and I'm speaking wealth into my life because I'm already wealthy in many other ways, but I know I could grow and bring in more wealth. And I said, that's it right there. I like how Kamali flowed and I for once felt like when I named myself Kamali, I said, this is me. This is me. This is the name that I've that I've needed because this is this represents me. And I, I didn't look back after I did that. My middle name, which I feel like is, is, is very powerful to me, my middle name is Azubike. And Azubike is Nigerian for the past is our strength. And growing up, I've always had this Black pride sense about me. My mother, she was a, a light-skinned woman, but she always told me that my skin was beautiful. Yes. And she always told me to be proud of that. She, growing up, she dealt with colorism within the whole family, and outside the family. And so when it came to her having a beautiful chocolate baby, she said, Yeah, you'd be proud of you. You have beautiful skin. You were gorgeous just the way you are. Don't try to be anything else. And that and having that sense of pride, I, I was always Afrocentric as a little kid, which led me to stand out from other students too, because there was some stuff I felt like I wouldn't tolerate as a young child. Yes. You know, I was always amazed at our positive stories, our African history or African American history how we were able to overcome so much and we will see so much in the media about our our troubles and stuff like that but it's it's the success stories that always made me be like man I am so proud to be in the skin that I am like that it was a sense of pride in me and it just grew more and more as I grew older and um, I think that was a beautiful thing so this was so easy for me to do was to change my name to this and once I found that name I said, only call me by this name, and that's it. This is me. In- this is me. If you could call me by my name, by a new last name when I got married, you can call me by this name right now, because I name myself. This is who yes. I am. And a week after that, I submitted paperwork. Unfortunately, quarantine happened, so the paperwork took right. way longer than normal. And on January 25th was when we had our court date for the kids having the last name of Obiagu and for me having the name Kamali Azubike Obiagu. And I just, my mother, when she named me when she was a child, when she was, she was, I believe, 20 years old when she had me. And she said, you know, I named you, Natalie, because I wanted you to have more opportunities because it was so common that if you had a unique name, that you were already turned down resume because they already, Racism. they already, you know, yes, yes. They already thought about you some kind of way. They're like, no, but she said she named me this because she wanted me to have more opportunities. And I appreciate what she did with that because I know she looked out for my best interests. And so I acknowledge that. And I, I love the way my mother raised me because she wanted the best for me. And I'm so thankful to have had her in the short time that I've had her. But I'm so thankful for her life and the way she yeah. raised me. And so I owned my name, but with respect to my mother as well, because I know she would she would get a huge kick out of it. She would love this. She would love this. And she would be really proud knowing that I am stepping into something that I've already been into, but it's just nice to finally have that present and more out there a little bit more. Because as a kid, I was so insecure. I was I was a follower. I was like a sheep, you mm-hmm. know. I was just laying just low along and go and along quiet to get along. And... Yes, yes. And I didn't walk very confident. I know there was a few times my mom would talk about, hey, you know, lift your chin up, you know, straighten your back out. Don't slunch over. And it's it's which is great because then nowadays people tell me you walk with so much confidence. You walk into a room and we just we just feel that. And I thought, my mom must be just That's great. right. Like that's Might my baby, that's losing. my kamali right there. That's her. Yes, I showed her yes, that. I yes, helped her so with that. Yes, yes. And so it took a little bit longer than expected, but but it just I always humble myself when I get compliments and stuff like this because the people knew um my story and knew how I was beforehand. They know this took a lot of work, a lot of inner work. A lot
0: of inner work. And that gives us a really beautiful point on which to end. What would you advise, Kamali, if, you know, for people who are listening right now, who might be struggling with some of the issues that you struggled with before you were able to step into your wholeness, into the wealth of the perfection that you are? How what are some of the early steps you might give to somebody who was in your position maybe 10, 15 years ago or who would often walk with their chin down instead of up? What do you have to say to someone who's listening who might be in that position now?
1: It's it's easier said uh, than done, but to really just channel out outside, outside comments from other people and to really look within yourself. For what I did was every morning I would get up and I would compliment my body. And then when I would go shower, I would say, hey, I love my body. Oh, I like the way my arms looking. I like the way my legs looking. My stomach is looking great. And I'm full of stretch marks and I love those. I, when I was early mom, I used to dread them and now I love them. But that's because I kept constantly telling myself, oh, look, you grew a that's human right. in here. You, know, you gave birth to this human. This C-section scar shows that you went through surgery to give birth to a beautiful blessing, three beautiful right. blessings. And so it's a daily practice. It's a daily practice, even for myself now, being confident. I still tell myself this daily. It's not something that, you know, just I could go a couple of days without, you know, <laughs> I tell myself this daily. and really just the more and, and writing to myself also helps. I write. I write about what I love about myself. I write about something that I may be challenged with something that I may need to change my thinking on. So writing helps, looking at myself in the mirror helps, taking pictures, lots yes. of pictures help. Yes, in your pictures. The more pictures I take, the more I feel really good about myself, you know? So the pictures, I can't say that I would, it would be, it, it wouldn't be the whole pack, package if I didn't take as many pictures, you know? There were lots of things that contributed to my confidence and taking these pictures of myself was one of them compliment myself was another one of them, you know, outside sources were not the reason why it is great to have compliments from friends and family. But if I don't see it in myself, that doesn't help.
0: It's so true.
1: So I I practice that stuff. And I self care is also insanely important. Because if you're not taking care of yourself, you're not really loving yourself. And I know life gets in the way. So it's easy to just slack on that trust me i know <laughs> it's easy to slack on that and i find mm-hmm. that whenever i'm sorry you said i find that when, it is okay i find that whenever i'm going through a rut i realize that it is because i didn't have the self care that i needed you know some time away because I can sometimes get swamped with sewing or with the kids or with the house. But knowing that I, if I take care of myself first and put ourselves first, then you're able to do so much better in life. So putting myself first uh, is a great, is a great thing. You know, I'm sure I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a sewist, but I'm also Kamali first and putting myself first and making sure I fill my own cup up first. And that's how I'm able to you know, help others out and do my job properly.
0: Absolutely love that. Kamali, thank you so much for being here with us today to share this. This is really so powerful and just so generous. Can you tell us where we can find you on the social so we can follow your your journey some more?
1: Yes, peace and blessings to you. I'm so thankful for this opportunity. Thank you for uh, bringing me up here. My Instagram handle is kamali.obiagu. That's K-A-M-A-L-I dot O-B-I-A-G-U. I also have a blog post that is a blog website, excuse me, that is www.obiagumakes.com.
0: And we will be sure to put those in the notes. So after you listen to this episode, you can just scroll down and click right on these things and you can see some of the hottest images on Beyonce's internet because the looks that Kamali puts together (laughs) are just absolutely inspirational the accessories I love the ones that you have with the the cuff the cuffs on your wrist and the
1: choker the oh my gosh it is just perfect I love to bring in that blackness that royalty yes. into my into my exactly. That's my exactly favorite. what it
0: looks like. That's exactly what it looks like. Kamali, thank you so much, everyone. This has been a wonderful conversation with Kamali Obiagu. And do indeed check her out. She has been fantastic. And you've been talking been, you've been listening today to us talk about intentional sewing, intentional living. And I hope that this conversation has given you something to practice. It's certainly given given me something to practice. It is certain given it has certainly given me something to practice. This, with the daily affirmations and just little things you know you can think things you know we control our thoughts we control those and we get to deliberately direct yes. those for our health and benefit and so I'm grateful to you Kamali for talking with us about this thank you thank you I appreciate you You've been listening to the Stitch Please podcast, the official podcast of Black Women Stitch, the sewing group where Black Lives Matter. We appreciate you supporting us by listening to the podcast. If you'd like to reach out with, to us with questions, you can contact us at blackwomenstitch@gmail.com. at gmail.com. If you'd like to support us financially, you can do that by supporting us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N and you can find Black Women Stitch there in the Patreon directory. And for as little as $2 a month, you can help support the project with things like editing, transcripts, and other things to strengthen the podcast. And finally, if financial support is not something you can do right now, you can really, really help the podcast by rating it and reviewing it anywhere you listen to podcasts that allows you to review them. So I know that not all podcast directories or services allow for reviews, but for those who do, for those that have a star rating or just ask for a few comments, if you could share those comments and say nice things about us at the Stitch Please podcast, that is incredibly helpful. Thank you so much. Come back next week and we'll help you get your stitch together.